Hello, it's CyberGrindX podcast, and uh, today our guest is uh, Mark Cochran from London, United Hello Kingdom. Hello from London. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Mark is a bookbinder and book designer and book artist, uh, or I guess I will ask Mark to describe himself a bit better. And my co-host uh, joining us from Moscow is uh, Pavel Voronin. Hi. So, Mark, uh, let's start with uh, a bit about your uh, history as a bookbinder and book artist and maybe about your education. Right. Um, well, we have to go back into the mists of time before mobile telephones. Um, <laughs> part of my family um, had an antiquarian and secondhand book business. They used to sell books. So I was constantly surrounded by books as a, as a young kid. Um, but uh, I, I'm dyslexic, so for me, books were a bit of a pain because I was it was problems at school. Part of my family um, had an antiquarian and secondhand book business. They used to sell books. So I was constantly surrounded by books as a, as a young kid. Um, but uh, I, I'm dyslexic, so for me, books were a bit of a pain because I was it was problems at school. But I knew books were around and I used to look at the beautiful illustrations in these ancient books and, um, you know, they're, they're beautiful things. It wasn't until I had left art college um, and I was working freelance that um, I was working in Paris. Um, it sounds very, very grand and beautiful. I was working in Paris. It's great fun. But I was actually... Um, working with a small group of people and basically what we were doing were looking back now it seems very odd but we were reinstalling art deco toilets into an art deco building and one day it i was I'd left work and it was started to rain and i nipped into a building public open building to get out of the rain as you do and it was an exhibition of um books from the uh, bibliotheque nationale paris mm -hmm. And my French is appalling. And I went, I went in the exit and I did the, ex, the exhibition the wrong way round. And I started with Gilbert and George and finished with Books of Hours. And I thought, this is, I, lo I love this. I understand what's happening. And there was lots <laughs> of Gallic shrugging as I was going the wrong way. And then I did the exhibition the right way. Yeah. And it still made sense. Um, I finished my contract, came back to the UK, um, I managed to blag or sort of um, sneak into a, uh, my old art college when they had a conservation course and part of the conservation course was a bookbinding module and I sneaked into that because I gave the teacher a bottle of whiskey. Um, those are the days, you could do that sort of thing then, you could do it, you could do it. Well, you, you can still do some, such a sort of, sort of thing in Russia. <laughs> still, I, I you need know. to be there. I need to be there now. It just, you know, it's a few hours a week, but I was, I was hooked. And then um, I was very fortunate that I went to Guildford College, which at the time was arguably the best course in the UK. I didn't know that, but it was the best course. And the teachers were at their, their peak of their skills. And I had... An incredible teachers, um, a very small group of people. I think there was a maximum of, yeah, there were seven students in the class and it was wonderful. You know, I graduated with, you know, bits of paper and everything else, started work. 
opened my own studio uh, a week after leaving college, Guildford College. I then started teaching in a, uh, an art college in Grimsby, which is a few miles north of my home city of Lincoln. Um, then I decided to do a BA in book arts, as you do. Um, and while I was there, I was offered a teaching post at Guildford. And I ended up being um, you know, on the, the, the top team of teachers at Guildford, which was absolutely fantastic. And so it was a, this huge circle had come round. Yeah. Anyway, because of uh, government cutbacks and education, um, the course was closed down. Because as we know, bookbinding and book arts equipment, it's just got one use, whereas the computer... Everybody from a tour, tourism to, I don't know, cookery can use the computer. Whereas with a finishing press, there isn't much you can do with it apart from finishing and holding books. And so they closed the course down. And um, I started my, um, my own practice in London, my own studio. Uh, opened Studio 5 about 17 years ago now, something like that. So, yeah. That's okay, about so, it. In, in so, a nutshell, and I, I studied in I studied in uh, Tokyo as well, and various other places, learning Southeast Asian bookbinding and French style bookbinding and or Belgique style or whatever. So yeah, it's a bit of an eclectic education, but it was a rounded, sort of structured education. And um, again, my teachers were excellent. So the entry point was through the exit to the book exhibition in Paris, basically. Yes. <laughs> and I think I've been going against everything since then. Uh, yeah, well, that, I've been, I've been that, going the wrong way since then. <laughs> that's perfect, I guess. <laughs> and uh, speaking of bookbinder versus book artist, your works uh, strike me as art first, bookbinding second. How do you define yourself? You've done the job for me. Um, I, because my first discipline was in uh, arts, um, I went to art college and I graduated. And that was back in the day where if you did go to university, you were one of a handful of people that did go to university. Um, I left art college and was working straight away. And I was working for large companies and all sorts of things. So my background is more arts. Um, but my father was a master tailor, master cutter. So... I was very used to working and seeing things happen with different materials. So it, it, for me, the book seemed eventually a logical progression of where I could combine all these skills. But I do look at it first from the art perspective because we see the book first. And, you know, you've got to, for me, the book is a, a beautiful vehicle that is used by other artists, poets, writers, illustrators, other artisans as well, paper makers, you know, uh, type founders, type designers, you know, the people that make the ink, all these other things. And it all gels together in this one form, which is the book, which is a universal vehicle. You know, there are very few people on the planet that don't know what a book is. All right, it comes in various different styles, different genres and that sort of thing. But it is a very universal language. We may not understand the language in the book, but we understand what the book is and what it's for. So for me, you know, we, I, I try and tackle it from the art first and then the, um, the construction, the, 
you know, the M-banding and all the rest of the fiddly bits that go with it to produce a, a holistic experience. Because it, again, it doesn't matter how creative you are, if the book falls apart in your hands, well then it's, it's not a book then, is it? But um, after saying that, there are some book artists that do purposefully make books that are meant to fall apart. So, but you've got to know how to make the book first. You've got to understand the rules and be at least competent in the rules of the book before you can start breaking those rules. And that's why I think a lot of people, especially with education, they want to get it done now. I want to, now I want to be, I want to do this now. And they don't understand you have to go through quite a lot of training to be able to say, actually, I know how that works, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this, not based on it's something nice to do, but based on experience and knowledge and also an understanding of where you are, where you want to be and where you will be. So there's so many different things happening. It's interesting that you, you spoke about a book being a universal concept and uh, mm. uh, the book as an object appeared some 2000 years ago or something. Arguably a lot longer than that. Yeah, maybe even earlier. But yeah. still, uh, it appeared in, in several regions of, of uh, our planet and uh, uh, pretty soon it, it became this object that is uh, very recognizable where there are pages. The pages may be of different materials or different uh, folded in different yeah. ways, but still, yeah. you, when you see the book from, from another tradition, you, you understand that's a book. And, uh, yeah, you understand uh, the concept, you understand it, and it, and it becomes a very accessible medium. I mean, there are very few ways of working which have lasted 2000 years i can think of a handful ceramics yeah metal work yeah but the book it's you know and it's it's also constantly evolving as well you know different ways not necessarily in the construction though that does evolve of course but in the way we work with it and the way we understand it it is constantly evolving um, because obviously we have new illustrators, new writers, new materials we can use and experiment with and new ways of actually engaging with the book as well. So for me, it's just it's a continu it's just a continuum. You know, we all stand on the shoulders of those before us. Could you expand a bit about, uh, on uh, breaking the rules when you know them just fine? One example of your work does come to mind immediately. Uh, I really like uh, a few of your books that uh, if you could take them, you wouldn't necessarily know which way is up and which is, uh, way is down. Yes, it is. I mean, the thing is, is when you look at the, when, when we look at all, all the different sorts of cultures, both, you know, from the past and now and hopefully in the future, you know, there are simple things like different cultures open the book in a different way. Then, you know, there are different forms of writing or pictograms or ideograms or whatever. Um, you know, if you look at uh, quite a lot of Southeast Asian uh, sort of writing, whatever, um, it's done vertically. And the reason for that is, is because originally the writing, the surface to write on was strips of bamboo. So of course you write vertically because that where you're gonna get all the text on and it's easier to look at in the vertical than it is in the horizontal. And if you go to um, Southeast Asia and you go to a graveyard, I mean, as you might do, as you might do, you'll see these strips of bamboo, you know, marking graves and things. So it's a still, it's still carried on, but also it's breaking the rules and it's also manipulating the rules. 
So, you know, it's, for, for example, in many, many cultures, and hopefully I'll be able to show you this later on, many cultures, you know, destroying the book, you don't do. It's because it is, you know, the written word, and especially within the religious context, which a lot of the earlier books were, they were about, you know, the religious context. And, you know, you can't destroy the word of your God or your Messiah or whatever. But if you bury the book, you're not destroying it. You're just burying it. Nature destroys it. So what I do is I bury books. And then I let nature take full circle and come up with these amazing, beautiful sort of book objects, which, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, nature is the most perfect of all artists. And that's basically breaking a rule, sort of, but it's also manipulating a rule. And it's like, I, sometimes I burn books. I, I hasten to add very, very quickly at this, at, this, at this point, I make the books that I bury and I make the books that I burn. The my, the my, it's, not, it's not somebody else's work, it's my work before we go any further, before I get loads of postcards going, you swine. But it's, um, you know, it, I write in a book, I burn the book, I mix the ashes and what's left with gum arabic, a little bit of wine, and I use that to print with. And so I can make the complete works of my sketchbook into just a word, book, and from the ashes. So it's about, a condens it's about condensing everything as well. So there are many different facets to what you can do when you understand the rules. It means you can break the rules. But if you're breaking rules without understanding what you're doing, you're not really doing anything. You're just doing stuff for the sake of doing it without having that underpinning, that foundation of what is the book to start with and then extrapolating or abstracting from that to produce something which is a statement or is a comment or is a new way of working and seeing the book. Your comments on uh, burying and burning the books uh, uh, reminded me of my experience in uh, bookbinding and uh, uh, bo teaching bookbinding because uh, over the years I found out that uh, many, many laymen, many people who don't know about uh, book arts or bookbinding have, I wouldn't say more respect to books, but more piety to, to books or something. So I had some uh, book repair courses and I brought some uh, cheap books to the courses and I, I uh, put them in, into buckets of water to show how to, uh, how to work with uh, soaked books or destroy them in some ways, cut them, turn them. And uh, some of my students were just appalled by this process. <laughs> like, how can, it, how can you teach people if you don't have an object you need to repair or something? Exactly. I understand exactly. One of the things I do with uh, particularly restoration and conservation students who seem to be the tightest about this, like this, is um, I get a paperback and I say, well, you know, there's about 10 to 15 percent moisture in the paper. And they go, ooh. There's no water. I said, yeah, there is. I'll show you how you can take a book apart very quickly. So what I do is I get the paper back and I put it in my microwave yeah. <laughs> and, and then whack it on, bring it out a few minutes later and it's steaming and the adhesive has melted. And I say, that's how you can take a book apart incorrectly, but it's taken apart. And of course they see the steam and they can see the physical action of what happens in different environments and different climates. 
And so, yeah, I, 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 one sometimes has to break the egg to make the omelette, definitely, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, it's their faces when you do it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, if anybody is going to be doing that at home, please follow all safety lines. And of course, do take out any metal strips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they, they put uh, these, uh, these strips uh, in, in the shops yes. uh, that yes, prevent security, prevent, strips. Yeah, security yeah. strips. Yeah, it can ruin everything. <laughs> well, it will be spectacular. <laughs> it, was, it was very spectacular. Just the once, it was very spectacular. <laughs> I understand that uh, you like to experiment with different materials in your books. Not only some traditional materials, maybe some, uh, some new materials or something. What's, what's your experience with that? Well, I, I think if we look at the history of the book, I mean, there have been so many materials used to make books that, you know, um, it's very difficult to actually say, right, we're going to use something new. Um, you know, the, the imagination, the engineering, the experimentation that our forefathers have done has been absolutely incredible. I mean, it, you know, the mindset of saying, right, we're going to get a, a tree, we're going to get the materials from it, we're going to you know, tease all the fibres out, we're then going to soak it, we're then going to pound it, and then we're going to make that, we're going to make it into paper. How did that happen? Who thought of that? That's not just a glass of wine and a conversation thing happening. That's years, years and years of experimentation. And, you know, parchment, right, see that sheep? We're going to do something with that. And you're thinking, how do these people think of that? And it's time and it takes time to understand these materials. But when you think about it even now, the materials that go into a book, we've got gold leaf, that's a metal. We've got paper, that's vegetable. We've got leathers, that's an animal. We've got these inks, we've got computer printout things, we've got so many different things happening that if you stop thinking of it as a book and think of it as a series of surfaces that we're going to be working with, you know, how does an artist, a canvas artist work? Well, they work on cloth. Okay, I can use cloth. Why not? I could use metal. I have used metal. I've used water in books. I've, you know, made books that are frozen and that you know you have to look at in the freezer um hopefully there won't be a brownout at any time very embarrassing um and all sorts of different materials and i think it's just a, an experiment it's just this continuum of an experimental process which keeps things moving forward and i think sometimes you you get into um what i call the three b's which is the book binders bubble where you only work with a small little thing because it's nice and safe and everybody's doing five raised bands, a little bit of gold leaf, a little bit of leather, marbled end papers and everybody's going, oh, wonderful, wonderful. That's 200 years old. We've been to the moon since then. You know, I use, I use plastics, I use anything I can get my hands on, which is going to do the work, which is going to do what I want it to do then I will use. I won't just stick with, you know, the prescribed because we'll start regressing. I mean, the work will stay the same, but the timeline will keep going forward and the work will become more and more in the distant and the past and less relevant to what is happening now and in the future. So we have to engage with all these different materials. 
I mean, Tyvek, for example, you know, when that first, I was at college when that first came out, and they came to us and said, do you want to use some of this? And everybody was looking at it going, <laughs> and I went, okay, okay, I'll have a go with this. And so I was painting on it, I was doing, I was making bindings and stuff from it, and it was absolutely wonderful. I thought, this is great stuff, you know, this, is, this has got possibilities. And that was the new material then. Now, everybody's using it. Yeah. So yes, why not? And again, there are all these different materials which are being produced, you know, sort of, um, uh, sort of materials that are made from fungi and all sorts of stuff. Well, that's a relatively new thing. You know, fabrics and materials that have been made from pineapples and all sorts of stuff. You know, we should be engaging with those. Why not? I mean, it may not work for everybody, but for the few people it does work for, that's fantastic. I mean, can you imagine the first person say, actually, I'm not going to use wood for the boards. I'm going to get some paper, new invention, and I'm going to glue all those together, and that'll make it stiff, and I'm going to use that instead. And everybody, no, you can't do that. I am. I am going to do this. And so you've got to have people that are pushing forward, that are trying, and not just making, you know, manipulating and making what I call, and this is where I'm going to get the hate mail, knick-knack sort of stuff but stuff that's relevant, that's got purpose, not just looks nice and you think, right, I'm gonna I'll make one of those and I can't think of a use for it and it takes a very long time to make, but that's nice. Stuff that's relevant, that's purposeful, that's got a meaning to it and a resonance, which then other people can engage with and take forward. So there are lots, so many different things and so many ways that we can continue to experiment and push forward that, you know, I, I feel that it's important that we do this. You know, we've got to give conservatives a job for the future. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think it's very important. I, I think of myself as a creator of work and jobs in the future. I wanted to ask about materials, uh, uh, because uh, a few uh, weeks back, we talked uh, to a wonderful bookbinder, Inga Newbig. Inger Dubik, yeah. yeah. And he talked about how when he uses new materials and uh, new techniques, it should relate to the book he's yeah. working with. Is, yeah. is, is that important for you? Should book binding somehow reflect uh, what is in the book? Well, I think should the binding reflect? I mean, it depends on where you are and how you see it and how you work with it. You know, uh, a brown leather book with five raised bands or cords on the spine um, about um, historical, maybe that would fit. But if, if you're working with a, an artist's book, for example, and you've done your printing with cloth, well then, to get a holistic approach, to give some idea and some, you know, continuity, a, a, a narrative to the book, starting from the outside, opening the book, going through the pages and everything else. Yes, it's logical to have the sequential narrative echoed with the materials that the binding, the pages, the book and everything's made from. And I think that that's, again, that's very, very important. I mean, I'm working on one book at the moment where I know I'm going to be having to use um, burnt cloth on the cover because that's what the artist used in the print work. Now I've got to think of a way of making that work. And that will take obviously a glass of wine and a conversation. But um, 
again, a couple of years ago, I was working on a, a book, um, Iskander Jail, uh, Clay Travels, and it's the, basically it's a exhibition catalog of an outstanding Singaporean ceramic artist. And the work is beautiful. I mean, and, and, and you know, it's collected by institutions and governments and things. And the guy who went to the exhibition, he would have loved to have bought one of the pieces, but it was just, it, you know, there's no way. It was, you know, we're talking a lot of money, a lot of money. And so he bought a catalog. And he said, can you do something with this? And I went, yeah, that's lovely. I can do something with that. Now, one of my students, Adeline Coe, she's past students, graduated. She works in Singapore. And so I got on the internet, and I said, could you send me over a kilo of clay from Singapore? Because I want to have clay on the cover of this, because that's gonna resonate with what's in the text block. It's a very physical reaction. Now, I could have spent hours tooling with gold something that looked like clay. Now, what would, I, what would people be applauding? Would they have been applauding the skill of the craftsperson in being able to spend hours and hours doing that? And say, look, it looks similar to clay. And you think, wow, great technique. Or do you use clay? because that's what the material is. I thought, well, I'm gonna use clay because it's logical. You know, if I want my book to look as if it's been painted, I'm not gonna put on leather onlays that try and make it look as if it's been painted. I will paint it. And if we, again, if we look back into history, people painted the covers of books. When you look at motorcycle gangs, on the back of the leather jackets, they paint on stuff, on all those other things. Now I'm thinking, so if it's, if it's good enough for these motorcycle gangs belting down the motorway in all weathers, I think it should be okay for a book. And, you know, and so it's about, again, getting out of the bookbinders bubble and seeing what happens. And again, if we look at antiquity, you know, all different sorts of materials were used you know, to write on. Um, you know, in Egypt, you would, you know, when they were carving out in the Valley of the Kings or whatever it is, there'd be uh, splits of stone. There is a correct name for it. I'm sure somebody will email in with the correct name. But correct thing, and they would write on these fragments of stone. And those would be the notebooks of their time. And, you know, there are, there's thousands of these things still around. And it's a wonderful way of working. And I think, yeah, of course, if that's the material that you're going to be using, use it. So, yes, why not? I mean, it, to me, it makes sense. This reminds me a bit uh, uh, of our first uh, podcast uh, when we talked with uh, Ben Elbel uh, about uh, his experiments with the uh, techniques and the structures and uh, mm. Uh, there is this uh, public concept of uh, of a traditional book, which is uh, not the book from 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, but uh, it's sort of this French binding from 200 years ago, and it's 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 sort of set in stone by many bookbinders and uh, many representatives of mass of mass media, and uh, it, it feels like there are two opposing camps. There are people who are uh, all in for this traditional classic binding. And uh, then there are others who 
allow themselves and other people to experiment. And I'm, I'm a bit more for, for the second camp because, uh, well... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's funnily enough, we were talking about education a few minutes ago. It's all about education. And it's also about paying the bills. Okay. Now, <laughs> yeah. if you've got a collector and the collector has this idea of what a book is and they say, well, oh, can you bind this book? I'd like it. You know, you know, I've seen some old books and I'd like it to look like that. Now, very few people will say, no, I'm not going to do that. You need to be thinking more modern because they've got bills to pay. So yes, I will replicate a 200 year old book for you. So they earn the money you know we've all got bills to pay but what that does that that reinforces the 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 the, the patron the customer the client's idea of what the book is yeah. and if you keep regurgitating the same thing that's all that's going to happen now it takes a very brave collector to say yeah okay put clay on the cover yes why not let's do that and those people are very, 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 very few. It also takes a very brave, I think, I'm not doing this for me, but it takes a very brave um, artisan to say, I want to put clay on the cover. Because you're stepping out of this perceived zone of what the book is. And so it's very rare that you get the synergy of somebody who's prepared to go out and do the stuff and somebody who's prepared to go out and collect the stuff. Um, I'll say one name, Guggenheim. Peggy, that's two names, Peggy Guggenheim. She went out on a limb. She started collecting people's work and encouraging and patronizing artists now that are household names. But at the time, they were scorned, they were laughed at, they were going, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And now look. Who remembers the people? Who in 200 time, years' time will remember people who are doing five raised bands, a little bit of gold, that's lovely, so they look like the previous 200 years, or somebody who's actually kicking the, kicking the bucket, kicking the water over and saying, hey, this is where we can go. Who's going to be remembered? Peggy yeah, Jugendheim, yeah. that's all I'm going to say. Peggy Jugendheim. I mean, People still use that name, Guggenheim. Yeah. You know, not, oh, Mr. Smith. Oh, he's got a wonderful collection of books that all look the same. <laughs> it's going to be somebody whose who's collection, whose library, whose thoughts is of now and for the future, not now and the past. It's the future we've got to be thinking about. And are there any public collections that collect modern bookbinding? Because I'm not aware of any. Yeah, it's, well, uh, for example, at the Victoria and Albert Museum, there is the National Art Library. And um, though they have an extraordinarily small budget, I mean, ridiculously small, um, they do actively collect, when possible, artist books and books that are out there. Um, they have some of my work. God bless them. God bless them. Um, they have some of my work and again I'm very fortunate with uh, the people that I work with though I do do restoration work which is working with old brown books the most of my collectors they want me to do what I want to do because they want something for the future not the not the past 
and I also um, there uh, there are a number of uh, American um, libraries that do collect new work as well, but you know, I think you've got to be American to get new work in there. But I think uh, there is a, there are a couple of collectors. What they do is they amass a collection and then they you know give it to you know national collections and things like that. So yes, I think there is a uh, more of a groundswell within collectors to look at the work like that. But if the collectors are told, oh no, you can't have that. You've got to have the five raised bands and a little bit of gold on lay so it looks like something that was produced, you know, Art Nouveau or whatever. Um, and a little bit of gold tooling and oh, look at that, isn't that fantastic? That, that's, I don't think that's what it's about. I mean, I applaud the craftsmanship in that. Yes, and I understand what goes into a binding in a book like that because that's what I do do as well. You know, that's part of it. Again, it's about understanding the rules to be able to break the rules. But I work for the future. And, um, you know, I, and that's why I, students come to me because they get this, this package of traditional you know we start with folding paper you know different ways of sewing and then wherever the direction the student wants to go into whether or not they want to go down the burning book route or they want to go down more traditional approaches to the book then they can do that because they understand everything and when you've got working in the studio you've got somebody who is doing all tooling and it's all very precise on this and then you've got on the other side of the studio somebody who's chucking paint around there is an understanding between them because they, they, they understand each and everybody's coming from. So there is a respect for the work and there is an understanding. And I think that sometimes is lost in education where people are trained in a specific way and they're trained or they're told by their teacher, no, that's wrong, you cannot do that. So it's pushed into there. I don't say that, I say, okay, you wanna do this? Let's find out, let's go down this path together. Let's, let's find out what happens. And it's only by starting at point A and then traveling all the way along to point Z and it breaking at point Z, somewhere in between starting and finishing is gonna be that point where you say, ah, that's where I need to be. Not just getting so far along and then stopping and missing out on all the rest. There's, there's so much more out there, there really is. You spoke about uh, defending your approach and uh, your views. I, I on, don't. On, I don't. I don't have to defend my approach. Well, uh, I, I not not about defending your approach. I mean, I, I, as a master, uh, uh, and uh, this this reminded me of uh, uh, things we discussed with some of conservators that sometimes uh, uh, a customer can ask uh, you to do to books something that uh, uh, shouldn't be done to old books or something. And uh, it's an interesting uh, question because uh, I think there are some situations when uh, you shouldn't uh, uh, bring new things in, into a new book. There are some situations when oh, yes. you should experiment. Oh yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, there's got to be a balance. But again, this, this comes from having the knowledge, understanding yeah. what you're doing and respecting as well. Um, I mean, I, I work with um, conservatives from the VNA. You know, there is a, a mutual respect because I understand exactly what it was. And when I was at college, I was trained in conservation. When I work with conservatives and I work with restorers, and I know, I know that I, I know what it is. 
It's not because I'm just coming at it from a blind corner, as it were. And I think that you, you've got to have, you've got to know your limits. I mean, um, you've got to know what you can physically do in yourself and with the work. Having said that, there is no one single right way of doing anything. Exactly. You've got to be open-minded. And if you look back at books, and especially, you know, sort of treasure, treasure bindings, treasure books, all these other things. I've seen examples where old earrings have been nailed onto the wood as a form of decoration, you know, on bits of stuff, you know, an old broken bit of something because it meant something to that person. Now, as a conservator, do you remove that because it's not part of the book? Well, it is part of the book. You know, how far back do you go if you're restoring or conserving a book? You know, books are like furniture. You know, you wouldn't get a, 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 an old piece of furniture and sand it down and make it look pristine and, and things. Because well, so, some people do that, oh. unfortunately. <laughs> it's, you know, the patina yeah. is part of the history of that particular piece of furniture it's like looking at Guernica Picasso's huge work okay when you look at it close up because it was you know shipped around 50 different countries for 50 years and it was exhibited and then rolled up and then stretched out and then rolled up and stretched out that painting itself has got holes in it a painter coming off it and everything else it's almost as if that has been in a war zone itself now as a conservator do you try and put everything back or do you actually leave it as part of the history of the work and this is the important thing it's you know you've but with books and especially with organizations national institutions they've got guidelines and they've got parameters to work with Again, you know, these parameters say what is allowed, what isn't allowed, what is important, what is not important. Now, you know, I don't um, purposefully go out of my way to destroy work if it shouldn't be destroyed. I'm very, very careful. I was recently working on a book of hours and I, it was just literally the sheets. That's all there was, just the folded sections, nothing else. And I put it into a very simple stub binding so everything was protected. Full leather, very simple binding. Tiny little bit of tooling on it. It didn't need anything else. I didn't throw any paint at it. I didn't bury it. I didn't do any of these things to it because that's what the book required. No more, no less. So I think, again, it's about you know, understanding the parameters of what you're working with. Now, if it's a contemporary work, if it's an artist's book, then yeah, go for it. Why not? And especially if, if it's your work, go for it. Do it. Why not? Nobody else is going to do it for you. They're going to be there with the five raised bands going, oh, it's five raised bands, a little bit of gold tool. You know, fine, lovely, great, marvellous. Could you name some uh, book artists that inspire you? Oh, 
if I were to name some, I would upset all the rest. Um, and it's not necessarily <laughs> book artists that inspire me. It's everything and everybody inspires me. I mean, I, I look at people's work and I just think, wow, that, that is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. It's like having a favourite artist. Impossible to have a favourite artist. Because, you know, I, I like progressive artists and I like progressive bookbinders and progressive sort of people working in all different fields. Um, it doesn't mean I know their name. I look at the work. To me, the name is not important. It's the work itself, which is why I don't tend to wear branded clothes because I don't like, you know, wearing somebody else's logo. But he said wearing Anyway, put a bad But um, it, it's about, I suppose when I was at college, I was very influenced by the pe work of people like Philip Smith, um, passed away relatively recently, David Sellers, who actually became a mentor of mine, uh, Yuri Hadlak, I may have pronounced that name incorrectly, is a Czech book, book artist. And he just, he wowed me because he was using gloves, bits of glass on his work, painting on the covers. And I was thinking, that's something else that's that's i didn't know that's where i wanted to be but that's always tick tock in the back of my mind always so i don't limit myself to to the book world i look further out books are part of life they're not all life and i think books need to be integrated into a far wider sphere uh, because if you start pushing and saying you know books 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 you're only going to attract people that want to engage with that. And I think if you put books into a wider sphere, you get more people coming in and can see the relevance and how they can work. Um, and what about your collages? They seem to stem not even from Popart, but from earlier, from Hannah Hoch, from Surrealists. Is, is... I love looking at the work of uh, the Dardarists. I think that's great. And uh, automatic writing uh, is fantastic. I mean, uh, one of my heroes is uh, Sir Peter Blake. He was the guy that did the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover. Um, I, I love his work. It's, I look at it and I hate him. You know, I, and um, the music, I've got a sink in the, in, in, in the studio. I've got a sink, what I grandly call Cuisine Corner and um it's got a, it's got the microwave in it and um because the plumbing here is about 150 years old it does tend to make a noise every now and again and i was having a coffee with him and his sink makes the same noise Stay. um artists that i work i, I really like uh, people like joseph cornell i mean stunning stunning uh lichtenstein i, I suppose yes I suppose if we're looking at it, maybe, yeah, the pop art, um, abstract expressionists, uh, fuavists, perhaps. Um, yeah, all sorts. And again, from different cultures. I mean, I love um, looking at the work of, of, of antiquity as well and what they were doing. You know, the Byzantium uh, um, mosaic work. And, oh, you just think, oh, this is just unbelievable. You know, if you couldn't do that today, but it was done then. So my inspiration comes from so many different sources. Cracks in the pavement, road signs. I love hand-painted signs, and I, I try and take photographs of those wherever I go, whether it be 
Philippines, Europe, Americas, wherever. I'm constantly looking for those because that's the human hand. It's not computer generated. It's it's very much this this manipulation of of different materials to create what you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Fantastic. And what about graffiti? Oh, love it. Oh, oh, absolutely superb. I was in uh, Budapest recently, and um, that was cool. Love it. I, yeah, I just, I, I, I think, I think stuff that's uh, that's. Um, I think I said, you know, of the hand, I think has so, so much more of a resonance with me than manipulated stuff. I mean, any, everybody near enough can get hold of one of these and they look a little like that. I'm going to use Gary Mond and it's going to be 18 point bang. And you can do it and that's okay. So, you know, and, it, and it churns out of the old printer and everything else. For me, I prefer to do typeset. I prefer to manipulate the, the single letter, the single word, and put them together and work them. Now, if it's a combination of collage work, of print work, I will do that. And, of course, I do use contemporary technology. Of course, I'd be a fool not to. But it's, I don't just do one thing. I try and bring different elements together if it's required if it's going to do what I want it to do and not just as a default way of working. Um, I mean, if you look back at, you know, even, you know, the arts and crafts movement where there was this marriage of wood and metal in books where you had the wood engravers, you know, with their beautiful stuff, you know, I'm thinking of Eric Gill now, of course, from the, from the UK perspective set with this beautiful, you know, metal type you've got this marriage of wood and metal forming that beautiful page. And again, that's, nobody really thinks about that, but again, that's a combination. That's a, a meshing, a synergy coming together to form a whole. And nobody thinks that's odd. But if you were to do that with different materials on the outside of a book, so, oh, it's got wood and metal on there. Oh no, can't do that, can't use that. They're missing the concept of what, what it is. They're missing the idea. So I think you've got to be, you've got to be very open-minded. Even, even if you're working in a relatively tight field like conservation, where you are going to come across all of these different things, you've got to be very open-minded because you've got to be able to understand you know, how things have been made, why they've been made in that way, why those materials have been used. So many different aspects to this wonderful thing. It's, you know, I, I, that's why I'm not a conservator. I'd, I'd have a problem, you know, as a piece of sellotape here that the artists use. But do we replace it with new sellotape? Do we, and which would be maybe what the artists use, or do we repair it with a repair tissue? Do we repair it with a repair tissue that's been toned to look like the old sellotape? But of course, that old sellotape wasn't old when it was first used, it was new. So, what, what, what should we do? You know, you, you, it's there's just, you know, it's it's a minefield out there. You know, I just want to be just doing my own stuff, and not. <laughs> yeah, it's a minefield, especially as the standards evolve and change over the years. And uh, fifty years ago, maybe not fifty, like seventy, eighty years ago, it was okay to remove the old binding and uh, 
to, to make a new binding to some, uh, I don't know, Car Carolingian uh, book or something. And uh, some of the amazing bindings were completely lost. And uh, it's oh, like yeah, we have some old photos, but now it's, it's completely different. And Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, uh, even in my short working life, I've seen changes. Um, and, you know, stuff that we were taught at college is now, oh, you know, you cannot do that. And you think, okay, but fine, okay, okay. Moving on, moving on, moving on. I mean, when I give a lecture or a talk and there's that sort of cute, that, that, that deathly silence when it comes to Q&A, and the audience is usually there going, <laughs> like that. Um, there is usually a hand that goes up tentatively at the back. And I say, sorry, that's, that's me being loved by somebody. Um, hand goes up tentatively at the back and you hear this little voice saying, do you ever think about conservation issues? And my answer is yes. Next question, please. <laughs> so yeah, I do. Obviously I do, but I'm not going to stop, stop that getting in the way of what I want to produce. Uh, what about your, your uh, teaching and uh, your classes and uh, is there any person from uh, from I don't know from the street can uh, uh, register for your uh, courses yeah. or how yeah. how do I, how, do I, how does it work? I well, wanted well, to visit your workshop uh, when when I was in London, but uh, it it's all, always was uh, uh, pretty short stays and uh... yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and I, I'm relatively easy about it. I mean, I do have courses for the complete and utter beginner, starting off with this is a piece of paper. Yeah. all the way through to mentoring people going for fellowship of designer bookbinders. So there is this, this continual program and it's, um, yeah, if you want to learn bookbinding, yes, I do teach it. Yeah. Um, and I teach, um, you know, good foundation skills that enable them people to go on and, you know, step up and progress. Um, I, there are a lot of teachers who, you know, just teach to a limit and keep their students there. I don't like that. Um, I want my students to move on, you know, not, I don't hang on to them like a lot of other people do. I say, right, fine, you know, that's beautiful work. Do one more and then you're out. Bye-bye. Don't want to see you. Progress, get a job, do it. And a lot of my students do actually find employment. They open their own studios. I, I'm very serious about it. You know, I teach not as, those. I do have some people coming in who are, what I would call, you know, purely doing it for the love of it, uh, something which is beautiful. They get taught in exactly the same way as somebody who wants to do it as a career. You know, I don't say, oh, that's lovely. Oh, that's beautiful. I said, well, should we do that again? Because that's rubbish. You know, I don't, I don't care if I upset them. I want them to produce the best they can. I want them to, to be able to, to exceed their expectations to do more and so that they get more enjoyment from it. So if they want to, if they can learn to a very high level and then they decide, actually, I don't want to be there. I want to be doing something here. That's fine. But they're doing something here because they can do up there as well. Not that's their limit. And so I think it, it's, it's extraordinarily important to encourage and to push and make the work that they're being taught relevant and also that the the skills that they're taught to be that, that can cross over into different disciplines so you know it's like if you're teaching somebody to rebind a book you don't just rip the cover off you say right fine let's think about what we're doing 
you know, let's try and take this cover off as if we were taking it off to restore it. So everything's done very gently. So they're learning two or three things at the same time. And they're also learning to respect their skills and what they're doing. And having another insight to perhaps another aspect of what could be happening. And this is what I was referring to earlier is, you know, having one person, you know, doing a, a leather rebound and then somebody chucking paint around, they both respect what each other's doing because they've both done what the other person's doing. So again, it's having that multidisciplinary approach and creating a holistic uh, sort of environment where, you know, you're supported, not castigated. That if you do something wrong, you do it again until you get it right. I'm not a bums on seat course. I don't care. You know, I don't have to have 12 people in the class you know, to make it financially viable, I'm happy with one person. And what a lucky person that one person is. God help them. <laughs> it's truly important to set your students on, on some sort of a path to evolve and to bring some, something new to the world. And I'm always impressed and uh, happy. And it's always fun to see when my old students make something better than I do or something different or something that I even cannot do exactly i mean this is one of the this is one of the beauties about working with students is because yes they're on this this learning curve they're finding stuff out but they don't know what the what they need to find out so they're going sort of you know their pathways and you're you're going with them you're following them and you're gently guiding holding the hand or picking them up or whatever it is but it's a it's a voyage of discovery and with every student for me I'm on that voyage of discovery with them. And I find out new stuff. And also, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If they succeed and they do better and you think, that is brilliant, I could never do that. That's to be expected because they come from, their experiences are different. They come from stuff from a different place. And what you're doing is you're sharing what you can with them. And it's going towards their skill base and their knowledge. And they're obviously going to take it somewhere else, which is them. I don't produce mini me's. I don't want a load of little me's running all over the place. Be too much competition, number one. And you know, you've got to have you know this push and this drive. I want to see my students um, succeed because every week I get people saying, "Oh, you should write a bookmark about bookbinding." And I get no. A, I don't have time. B, it would be out of date as soon as as soon as it was printed. Because the stuff I was doing five years ago, technique-wise, material manipulation-wise and everything, that's changed. Of course it has. I've moved on, I've progressed. And, you know, people take great store in the answer, I've got a book published and every student must buy this. I don't do that. Each one of my students is a book and it's automatically translated into their language. And it's a book that can be built up on that can be shared with far more people. And it's a living, breathing, expanding, moving book. And that's what I hope to install. And I also, if the person, if the students write, I also show them how they can teach it as well, how they can move forward with it, how they can share it with other people. It's not, I mean, I work with books and books are beautiful, but the book on its own will not teach you. You have to understand what is in the book to allow it to expand your knowledge and to teach you. But to somebody to say, no, hold the tool like this, 
this amount of pressure, gently push forward. There's no book that can do that. There's no online lesson that can do that. Because my idea of medium pressure could be somebody's idea of full body weight. And, you know, it, it's, it's very, very difficult. There's just so much you can do with any learning device without standing beside them. It's like if you look at the apprenticeship system, where the master would teach the apprentice, and then the apprentice would graduate, and then they would become a journeyman, and then they would become a master, and then that full cycle would be happening. None of those masters wrote a book. They passed their knowledge on to living people in a living way, in a progressive way as well, that was relevant to that time and to the future as well. And that's what I hope to do. Every time I'm impressed uh, uh, that you often share different videos on your Facebook feed uh, showing different aspects of uh, book binding and book arts processes. And uh, first, it's a window into, into the craft. And it's, it's amazing mm. and beautiful to see that. And, uh, that's, very, that's very kind of you, my and, one fan. And it's, it's also educational. So I, I urge everyone to follow you on Facebook because you share a lot of interesting stuff there. <laughs> Since, you know, that C19 has happened and everything else, um, I thought it was important just, A, I, I started it first of all to, to keep in contact with my students. And obviously, you know, I, even, even past students, graduating students from you know, 20, 25 years ago, that we're, we're still in touch and they still, you know, I offer advice and they say, what do you think? And, you know, and it's a, it's a two-way street. I, I'm aware of what they're doing. And again, we share, we talk and everything else. And what I wanted to do with the stuff that I've been doing on Facebook is, um, you know, perhaps take people out of their working space and perhaps sharing somebody else's. And as I said earlier, there is no one single way of doing anything that is correct. There is always different ways of doing it. I'd like to say thank you to Mark for being such, a, such an amazing guest and showing around his studio and talking about favorite. all these different things. And I also would like to thank uh, our community, community of iBook Binding, and our supporters uh, on uh, Patreon. Uh, we have a, a collection of uh, digitized books there shared with everybody uh, now during the lockdown. So uh, you don't need to become a patron uh, and uh, pay any money to us to access this collection, at least for now. And uh, uh, you still can become a patron, uh, uh, and we would we would highly appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, that's optional. Uh, we will announce our next guest uh, in our future uh, posts on uh, uh, our social networks. And I guess that's it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks a lot, Pavel. My pleasure. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. This was great. Bye. 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 -bye. <laughs> and cut.